Phil? This is a 72-year-old female who had experienced two episodes of passing bright red blood per rectum. She underwent a GI evaluation, was found to have a near-obstructing adenocarcinoma of the distal colon, approximately 30 centimeters from anal verge. Shortly after her colonoscopy, she was urgently admitted to the hospital with acute symptoms of bowel obstruction. She had laboratory data that showed uh, normal CBC, normal LFTs, CEA, which was 54. She had preoperative CT that revealed no evidence of any distant metastasis. The patient was brought to the OR for an exploratory laparotomy and underwent a left hemicolectomy with en bloc resection of the ileum, retroperitoneal lymphadenectomy, and colostomy. Pathology revealed a grade 2 adenocarcinoma. The tumor measured 9.2 by 4.5 by 1.8 centimeters. The tumor did invade into the subserosal adipose tissue. Margins of resection were clear, and 42 of 47 pericolonic nodes were positive. I'm going to just stop at that point first. 42 positive nodes in this young patient and ask about adjuvant therapy in that situation, and specifically the question of would you consider bevacizumab off-study? We had the CO8 trial available to us until last fall, and I know a lot of you participated in that study, and it was great to be able to present at least the chance of getting something different with you know, something like 42 positive nodes. Start with Jordan. Well, first off, we still have a clinical trial option for this patient. True. We have NO147 still open, which is a randomization of Folfox versus Folfox plus Cetuximab. Off of clinical trial, there's absolutely no evidence and possibly not really clear rationale as to why these agents would be significantly better than the Folfox alone. And much as this patient has a very high risk of the cancer coming back, if you look at the data on lymph node ratio, Obviously, this is a very high lymph node ratio, not to mention a high lymph node number. Very few negative nodes among them, and I'm impressed they got 47. But it suggests a high risk of recurrence, but nonetheless, the best thing we've proven remains full fox, and I would use full fox. And if he said to you, Jordan, what's my baseline risk of cancer recurrence without any adjuvant therapy? Without any adjuvant therapy, if you look at the Mayo Clinic website and you look at their thing, I believe Dr. Gill's data would say about 9% chance of five-year disease-free survival. So so 91% chance of recurrence. How about you, Axel? It's a rare situation where I completely (laughs) agree with Jordan. Um, I'm not convinced that we'll ever see a great effect of bevacizumab in the adjuvant setting. And so since it's not proven and... I mean, why would we, it's not even that we have no data, we have some data pending, and the rationale for using this anti-angiogenesis agent in a micrometastatic state, if I had to bet what's the winner in the adjuvant setting right now, if, which biologic will make it, you know, I would put my money on cetuximab or an EGF receptor antibody in general rather than bevacizumab. Dr. Kumar? A few years ago I asked this question as to when does really the vascular supply takes place to an occult metastatic site. We are treating occult metastatic site in adjuvant therapy. At what size does it occur? Does it occur at a one millimeter size, two millimeter size? And to say bevazuzumab as an adjuvant will not have an impact, we are assuming no vascular issue comes into play. So how do we know that? No, and I agree with you. That's why we're still open about, you know, the results of CO8. I mean, CO8 needed to be done. It was rapidly completed. We have a similar trial in Europe, the Avant trial. So we will get the data. I mean, this high-risk situation is probably a little bit kind of 
borderline in the sense that you could also say, you know, 95 plus percent risk of recurrence or whatever, because it's almost like a stage four patient. I mean, so this is why we're talking about it. Suppose, but, uh, I'm yeah. just curious, let's say the two trials are both positive, right? At that point, we're not going to be able to compare them. And indirectly, it looks like they're both having a similar positive effect. How would you stock up the side effects and toxicity of Bev versus Cetuximab trying to project into the adjuvant setting? If they are both positive to the same degree or a similar degree, I would very much assume that people would vote with their feet for bevacizumab rather than for cetuximab. Based on the stigmatizing acne form rash, we have a higher rate of diarrhea, for instance, when we combine cetuximab. The way the trial was designed is cetuximab weekly, which is not very convenient in a lot of settings. We might be able to get around that with every other week, cetuximab. But overall, I mean, it's bevacizumab has a better subjective toxicity profile than cetuximab. What are you seeing in the trial, Jordan, in terms of how people in the adjuvant setting respond to the rash? Good in question. the trial, in the trial. The patients who are looking at this study... Frankly, I can't tell you how many patients who have gotten randomized to the Fofoxalone arm have actually expressed relief, which I thought was interesting. I didn't expect that, especially from one of my youngest patients. Wow, it's interesting. Uh, because of the rash issue. But the patients who've gotten randomized to the cetuximab and have gotten the rash have not faced it with depression or anything else. It's been with equanimity. But, you know, I don't think they love the rash. And when you get further on down... You know, when you're on this thing for a while, the skin thins out. There's changes from the rash. It doesn't go away. It changes over time. You get some interesting findings. The hair gets curlier, more like you've had a perm. It's a very interesting drug, and the patients, though, have faced it very well. I want to actually pick up and continue with this case. Within six weeks of surgery, the patient was started on full fox. Her pretreatment CEA was 72 She tolerated the treatment exceptionally well despite her hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and type 2 diabetes. The patient completed six months of full FOX, during which time she had reversal of her colostomy and normalization of her CEA. For 16 months thereafter, she was fully active. She did develop a mild elevation of her CEA to 6. She was entirely asymptomatic at that time. A repeat CT scan demonstrated a retroperitoneal mass with an extension to the psoas. The patient was started on Zelox Avastin, which she tolerated rather well for approximately five months. And at this time, she is on a break from therapy, once again with normalization of her CT and CEA, and entirely asymptomatic and doing well at age 72. Can you comment, Axel, on the course and the management in this case? And again, getting into the issue of the long-term management of metastatic colon cancer. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because I would have expected that the recurrence was somewhere in the lymph node retroperitoneal area because apparently this cancer was able to generate 42 lymph nodes but no liver metastases initially. So the biology would suggest, okay, this is the preferred location of recurrence. So retroperitoneal masses are sometimes difficult to treat, to be honest. And in select patients, we have been even more aggressive than what you've done, have done radiation, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, send a surgeon back in. But for most purposes, those recurrences are a palliative situation, which are not surgically amendable. So after 16 months after chemotherapy, that's what I heard in your case, there's clear evidence that apparently the adjuvant chemotherapy you administered was somewhat effective because high risk, highest risk situation, and it took more than a year for this tumor to recur. So I would have clearly said, you know, this oxaloplatin-based regimen did have some effect. So we started with an oxaloplatin-based regimen, as you did, Zelox or Falfox. I think there is not big difference. 
I like the fact that you included bevacizumab because it's a palliative situation. Duration of control of tumor growth is key issue, so we'd like to get bevacizumab around. I would like to ask you, what about the neurotoxicity? Because you had a diabetes patient, which might be at high risk for neurotoxicity, already had six months of Falfox, yep. and then you restarted on an oxaliplatin-based regimen. Did you see some worsening, flaring up, or whatever? Only just recently mm-hmm. that when we came off therapy and I talked to her about going on, just staying on capecitabine, Avastin versus stopping therapy, and she really wanted a break. But only now. She went through her entire first treatment. Every few weeks I'd see her and drill her about questions of neurotoxicity. What's her quality of life been like since the diagnosis of recurrence? She's had an excellent quality of life. She has a husband who's very, very involved and very attentive to her needs and asks lots and lots of questions. She's been extremely active. The surgery and the first two months right after the surgery were a very difficult time for her, but subsequently, particularly during the latter part of chemotherapy, the first time around and during the almost year and a half that she was off therapy, she was fine. Getting back, you know, contrasting to Dr. Schwartz's case, what was the information transfer like in this situation? Again, were they out on the internet getting information? Were they just asking you, husband, wife, how did that work? There's an in-law that's a hospital administrator that has gone around and got a lot of information for the couple. So they're not on the internet themselves, but particularly her husband asks very pertinent questions and otherwise is just kind of overseeing her toxicity and tolerance of therapy. You know, we talked about this patient project that we talked about yesterday, and actually you've been very involved with that. And one of the things that we think is happening, we're going to try to figure that out in this next thing, is we think, even though a lot of people are getting information off the internet, that they're also getting a lot of information from friends, relatives, and people in your waiting rooms, and maybe not very accurate information. Absolutely. Is that your experience? Absolutely occurring. And actually, I don't have a problem with that. I'm actually happy when people start talking about that, because the discussion's open, and it's an opportunity to put cards on the table that people otherwise might have misconceptions about and hang on to and be a little fearful of things they don't need to be fearful about. Dr. Garita? So her CEA was elevated even post-op? It was elevated all along? It was never normalized? There, it was normalized after her full It was, fox. okay. She, she after went down. Fox, when we started chemotherapy, it was 7.2. Was Preoperatively, elevated. it was 54. 